we I feel like it's a good like you know get like a five ten minutes to kind of like recap and introduce everybody sure. to everybody. So, um, Maya, tell us about yourself. We know you're a firefighter. Yeah. You you play with fire for fun. So that's right. Ever since I was a kid, um, a little bit about myself. Um, so obviously, uh, I'm a fireman. I work for a popular fire. I've uh, been there for about going on my second year full time. Um, prior to that, I, uh, I volunteered for about three years. I was an intern for about a year. So the vast majority of my life, uh, my last year of high school and getting out of high school involved nothing but the fire department, basically. Um, so um, firemen, I'm the youngest of uh, nine kids, really, really big family. Um, I have a twin brother who, uh, whose name is almost identical as mine. So I grew up a very confused child. We, <laughs> we used to do each other's homework. True story. Wow. Um, because we were mistaking each other's names. I'm Jeremiah with an S. He's Jeremiah with an H. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. There it is. My parents yeah. were, very, uh, were very divergent with naming the twin kids. So <laughs> we have that going for ourselves. Um. I really don't know what else to say about myself. I mean, I like music in my free time. I, I like to sing music, play guitar, stuff like that. Um, um, I'm, I consider myself a man of God. I love the Lord. Um, Very important. Yeah, that's pretty much a little synopsis about myself. Awesome. Cool. Nice to meet you, Mike. Yes. Nice yeah, and, and it's funny, you know, I ran just a real quick to, to tag on, just to add on this, add on to this. So uh, it's funny because we had a real quick conversation. Uh, so Myas was on his way out. I guess he came in and brought a patient uh, into the emergency room. And it just happened, you know, sometimes when you run into people, you just like in the moment, you just kind of like feel like, hey, I need to like say this. And that's kind of what, how this whole uh, awesome intervention here on tonight's podcast, how Myas is actually here because, you know, we had a quick, quick discussion um as he's cleaning a stretcher going on to his next call we were just chit-chatting i was like hey man you should hop on this podcast and just whenever you can you know if you're able to we're having a very powerful uh, roundtable discussion to start off season three and um i was really excited uh to hear from Myas yesterday saying hey dude the person is actually working tomorrow and i'm gonna be able to make it so um it's really just an honor to have you on the show Myas, and uh thanks for being part of it today very, very humble to be here, man. Very humble to be sitting at the table. Um, it's it's formal an honor, you know. So formally, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, all right, all right. So um, Taylor, ladies first. I've known Taylor since two thousand eleven. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, uh, we met at UNF. Just go ahead. Go. Ahead. We lived in the same apartment complex when we went to UNF together. Um, Neighbors. Adler, yeah, Adler was one of my favorite people while I was in college. I hung out with him and his roomies like every single night. Um, but about me specifically and not my relationship with Adler, who is lovingly called Adler Wadler. Um, <laughs> oh, I like that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, Noted. Yes. Yes, seriously. Adler, I'm changing your name. Hey, there's only certain people allowed to use that. Right? <laughs> certain people get to use Cats it. Cats out of the bag, dude. Cats out of the bag. 
Um, I grew up in Tampa, uh, really nothing too exciting. I have an office job with a personality assessment company. Um, I'm a woman of God, so can relate to you there, Mayas. Um, and I'm married to a Marine, so moving all over the country. Awesome. We're right now on a move to Virginia. So Awesome. Nice. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you to your husband for serving. That's absolutely amazing. And just a side note, Kyle's one of the coolest dudes you can actually meet. So he's a good guy. I, I, I vouch for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. If that was vouching, uh, I'm yeah. Gay. Yeah. <laughs> if Adley Wadley. Yeah, it doesn't have it doesn't have the quite the same ring. <laughs> is that what that's not what it was? What was it? Not, not quite the same ring, but I, I see you tried. You know, uh, Daniel. Oh, man. Uh, I I kind of gave you guys like a breakdown. Daniel is the like probably one of the most fearless guys I know. Like he's he's always got like that like excellent moral compass, and then just fearless. And he went from batch to nomad. I've known him probably around the same time, probably since 2011. So going on like nine years. Yeah, um, we have been at the same time. Yeah, pretty much every wedding that we've both been a part of, we always room together. So that's uh, kind of like an unspoken written thing. Yep. Go ahead, introduce yourself, man. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, born and raised in Florida, and absolutely love it here, even though it's crazy hot and muggy all the time, but uh, I was a cop for a little over three years, like Adler said, and quit my job. And then uh, I traveled the world for, for about a year, all of 2019, went to 23 different countries, had the time of my life, and got to see how the world runs outside of the United States and learned a whole lot and loved absolutely every second of it. And uh, I've known Adler and Taylor for almost, 10 years now. They're two of the greatest people that I've known in my entire life. Um, so yeah, that's me. Awesome. And Steven, finish us yeah. off, man. Yeah, so I actually probably have, well, no, no. My ass, you're close because you met Finn this week. So I met Adler and Finn, I think, last week, right? And yeah. um, it's through a buddy of mine, one of my best friends is Adler's good friend. Yep. Um, so I live in Atlanta. I lived in Florida. I was born there. Um, and it was just too muggy. So I think naturally Florida <laughs> kicked me out. Right. So I got a job in Atlanta and then kind of never went back to Florida. So I'm based out of Atlanta now and I work in the technology space. So I'm a pre-sales engineer um, within the technology space. And let's see. I uh, I went to USF in Tampa. I'll actually be in Tampa at some point. Uh, I should be driving down there July 20th for an indefinite amount of time. So I'll be in the Tampa area for a little bit. Yeah. Cool, cool. cool. That's where my parents live. I actually, just to throw all this okay. so, so Taylor from living out in Tampa, my, uh, my parents live there. I grew up there myself. I moved out to Orlando because um, I had, long story but i ended up going into the military myself and things don't work out so i'm still here because i work for a wonderful hospital system um and uh you know hoping to go to school well actually i will start school in the fall but if i could go back to tampa tomorrow i probably would but oh, yeah. i can't so yeah 
So with the whole Tampa gang going on here, I just thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> Go Tampa. <For> sure. Yes. <laughs> hey, they got hey, Tampa Bay Buccaneers got Gronkowski and uh Tom Brady. Brady. I'm not even like fans oh, of them. That's, that's all you got. That's all you got. <laughs> that's all they're getting. Oh, I, I, I feel a debate coming on. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no debate, no debate. They got the goat, so that that counts too. So <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see what Tampa's got. And Finn, introduce yourself because you know some of us know you, but not all of us. Yes. So a lot of you guys probably know me either by Stephen or Finn. Um, outside of work, I typically go by Finn, um, just because that's I've always went, I went by Finn. Uh, I was not born here in the United States. I was actually born in Russia. I was adopted. And um, I came over here to the States in 2007 and been here since. Um, I speak German. Um, uh, pursu- I'm East pursuing. Oh, yeah, what's up, dude? Yeah, um, Adler wants to learn German really bad. And I've sat down and <laughs> had conversations with him, and it just does this. So it's okay. Right. Um, it's not yeah, an easy language. It's not easy. Um, I need to work on my. Yeah, well, that's all German. That's all German sounds like is ach, ach, ich, and all that other stuff. All right. Um, but no, my future ahead of me looks, you know, like like you guys had said. Uh, first of all, ministry is a huge, big part of my life. God and um, His works, and you know, I lean on Him for everything that I do. So that's where this podcast uh, with Adler and I started this off with a vision um, to impact the world. And so I'm hoping that in the next five years. We won't just be two dudes, um, you know, just podcasting or vodcasting, as I should say. Um, It's really just an honor to be with you guys starting here and you guys being part of something that's going to develop into um, an outstanding project that will leave a footprint for the next generation. So that's it. So Adler, I'll throw it at you. What do you introduce yourself to those who don't know you? So uh, I am Adler. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's the starter. Um, so I was born in New York. Um, my parents moved down to Florida because they believed that New York was no place to raise a family. Um, both my parents are immigrants, um, come from Haiti. Um, my mother came here at nine years old. Um, she lived in the projects, worked her way up to become a licensed nurse. My father came here around the age of 22, 23 years old. Um, taught himself English, got himself a scholarship, and he became a licensed paralegal. Um, I lived in Deltona, Florida uh, since probably 1994 or something like that. And um, I've been pretty blessed and pretty fortunate to um, have the parents that I have. Um, they've, they've taught me every lesson that they possibly could, and I, some of them I've learned and some of them I've rebelled against. But um, I know that they did their best. And I'm, you know, at times in my upbringing, you know, being a Haitian descent, and Stephen, I know you can relate to this, you know, you think that your parents are a little bit too hard on you, and it, you, you kind of just like, you, you, you don't necessarily understand why they act the way they act or say the things that they say. But then, you know, as time goes, goes on and you get a little bit older, you start to see, man, okay, I understand, I get it now. And um, I, I've kind of gotten to the point in my life where, um, especially, you know, I'm a nurse. Um, I, I, I'm trying to adopt this mentality that when you know better, when you educate yourself, when you know better, then you do better. So um, this is just kind of like uh, along the same guidelines of what we're going to discuss tonight. 
um, it's kind of like, you know, the, the world is in this pandemic and then we have like this sub, like uh, sub episode that's like been brewing for quite some time, but we don't really kind of discuss. We kind of just, you know, it's the elephant in the room, but we just all pretend like the elephant's not there. And um, it's, you know, I, I, I believe that if we find a way to discuss it, if we find a way to have an open dialogue without getting defensive, without attacking one another in respecting every single person's point of view, I think that, you know, we can come a long way and maybe not necessarily find a solution in one day, but by developing like some sort of like open dialogue, we can come to some sort of agreement. And that's me in a nutshell and what we're talking about today. Yes, that's exciting. And so, you know, uh, I don't know who wants to start off. Uh, one thing about us here on The Best You, um, we really, we are super open. We, um, it's a no judgment zone. We love everybody who hops on with us. And like, like we say, I know you guys are humbled to be here with us. Uh, we, we're just as humbled, um, you know, taking your time out of your day, your evening, I should say, to be with us on this um, episode on this season. Um, it is a really big deal for Adler and I, obviously, uh, to not only, you know, we, we've, we talked to each other on the podcast, you know, for two seasons. And now we're at this point, where we're just like, we need to step up our game a bit and start adding people like hearing it from other people's perspectives and on life from obviously, like Adler said, the sub, what do you say the sub episode that's taken place in our, in our nation? Uh, you know, everyone said 2020 things are, it's the vision, the big year for everything to happen. And there's a lot of stuff that's happened and it's not necessarily as we may have planned. Um, so, but if anybody would like to take the floor and start off, uh, that's, you know, that you're more than welcome to take the mic. Um, this is, you know, this is the time to uh, have this open dialogue. I'm really, really, I'll speak for myself. I'm really excited about this one tonight. So anybody who wants to take the mic, take it. So if, you don't mind. I'll start first. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, okay. So today I, I kind of want to talk on a, an uncomfortable conversation because this is something that me and Finn, we've talked off air about. Um, it's white privilege. Now, when you say privilege, unfortunately, people get like defensive immediately. They have this belief that privilege means that uh, they don't work hard or that they're, you know, I'm not sure exactly, like, it has like this negative connotation, basically. But the word privilege, according to Webster, you know, it says having special rights, advantages, and immunities, right? So as a black man, I can say that I have been privileged. The same struggle that my parents and I kind of, I went and told you guys about my parents for a reason. You know, my parents struggled when they first came to this country. You know, they didn't know the language. They didn't know where the next meal was going to come from. They didn't know a lot of, like, how we're going to pay for rent, where we're going to live, where we're going to stay. Like, a lot of those struggles that they had, I never dealt with as a kid. There was always food on the table. There was a two-parent working house home, a paralegal, and a nurse. Um, I went to the best schools that my, my parents could afford. They sent me to private schools. And I was blessed enough that they started a college fund for me at a young age and allowed me the opportunity to be in the position I'm at today. So I can tell you outright that I am privileged. It's a different type of privilege because I can talk to other um, black men that I've had the pleasure of meeting and they tell me, man, I had to 
you know, get a, a scholarship, you know, educational scholarship, or I had to get like a track scholarship. And then I, I was able to go to college. I'm the first person in my whole entire like family to ever get a degree. And I'm just like, wow, that's like, I never had that, that struggle. I don't have that association because that's never been my reality. You know, I, three square meals, if there was a, um, a project I wanted to do, I had the luxury of starting piano lessons, then quitting taking sing, singing lessons and quitting joining the football team being part of the track doing anything mm-hmm. that my parents you know anything I was passionate about and my parents wanted to support I was able to do it I never struggled so as like one of uh, just uh, just as a black man I've been just very privileged in my, the life that I've lived and the opportunities that the opportunities that I've been blessed with and you know I can say that now Finn, I think you had something that was kind of interesting, like off air. I don't know if you want to share it yet, or you want to. We, we'll we'll pass it. We'll this was this was well, yeah. I, I can hit back on, but this was about the um, the question that I asked you about. Uh, I believe I'd mentioned something a different word or a different approach. Was that what you were talking about? That's what we talked about. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. We can hit that. We can hit that a little later on down the down the episode. Uh, I look. I'm looking at Stephen. I feel like Stephen has something that he wants to add. Like, you, you, yeah, no. You so, <clears throat> no, I don't. I don't necessarily have anything in particular. It's just, you know, when um, I think people don't realize that everyone has some sort of privilege, right? Like, privilege is not something that is limited to a race or a person or a gender. Everyone has different privileges right? Like if we compare my son to upbringing to what my upbringing was, you can clearly tell that he's privileged, right? The kid has an iPod since he came out the womb, right? Like that didn't happen. I didn't get a cell phone until I graduated college or until I went to college or something like that. But I, I think it's very important to highlight that there is a privilege or a level of privileges that white people have that black people just don't have. When we think about, you know, people saying what getting pulled over, their heart starts beating. There's this stress that's automatically added to a black person that most white people don't ever have that stress when they're getting pulled over, right? That is a privilege. That is specifically a white privilege. So, um, and, and it's not a bad thing right? It's just the reality. And we, yeah, have, we it, can't be afraid <laughs> to face the reality, right? Um, and it's like, you know, I don't think white people should necessarily feel bad that they have that privilege. It's not like they kind of like um, you as an individual, Taylor, that you are fo- you, you're forcing that privilege on yourself. No, this is something you were born with. I think what's really important is to acknowledge it, right? Mm-hmm. And be understanding for those that don't have it, right? And be empathetic from that perspective. So that's all I'll add to this point for now. Thank you for that, that was good. And it's it's uh, it's something that I wrote down in my notes. It's the common response we we typically, and it, it may be in this very scenario, like you said, it's the, <laughs> the automatic defense. Uh, <laughs> we have a defense mechanism as people, we don't necessarily recognize it uh, in the moment. Um, and I can say for sure, like just based off of our lot, one of our discussions we had, uh, previously on the podcast where Adler was sharing a, a situation that took place in his life. I 
couldn't really, I wouldn't be able to understand it because I never had that experience. And so because of that, um, it, it is, in, you know, we're talking about right now, like I've been pulled over. I had, I had to pay a $500 ticket in Valdosta, Georgia. That sucked. I didn't want to drive up there. I was under 21. So I had to go. Um, but from our off air discussion, my experience compared to Adler's experience was very differently taking uh, taking place. Uh, I was like, Hey, last registration. All right. You were speeding. Okay. Continue on. And from Adler's point of view, it was a very different experience. And I'm not just saying for Adler, for any black or black male or, or woman <clears throat> or man, that experience, like you said, Steve has an additional level of stress uh, that would, um, that would make that experience a lot more traumatic or much more extreme compared to a white man or a white woman. So um, it is that uh, it's very, uh, it's very obvious that, you know, like you said, we, you're not born, you're not born into feeling like, Oh, like that's what I have. It's just society has created this kind of reality and to face it, we need to, you know, this is the kind of stuff we have to do. Can I I add something? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. You guys can hear me, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay, just making sure because I've never had this. Looking fresh too, man. Looking fresh. Thanks, man. Thanks. So I, I, I believe that that piggybacking off everything you guys said, I, I do believe that you know, you are born with privilege. Um, all of us have privilege in some sort of way. But on, on a side note, I also think that you can obtain a privilege as well. Let me explain. So a little bit, a little in-depth background about myself. So I grew up kind of opposite to Adler. Um, So I grew up in a very impoverished uh, family. Um, We, like I said, I have nine brothers, uh, not nine brothers, I have nine siblings, uh, five brothers, four sisters. And um, my parents, they didn't get a high school education. Um, My dad dropped out of school um, to take care of his family and uh, wasn't able to obtain a high school education, wasn't able to get any type of degrees or anything like that. So living off of social security, you know, um, monthly to take care of 10 children. Um, So we grew up in a very, you know, rundown home. And um, some nights we didn't have food, some nights we didn't have lights, um, but we did have each other, which I think is important as well. But being the youngest out out of those kids, um, I kind of had to obtain the things that I wanted out of life. And it was tough. You know, I had challenges and stuff to go through. Um, but what I did was I, I found someone to mentor me. I clung on to that person and got out of that situation. I found a lieutenant who was in the fire department. He kind of found me in high school, um, recruited me and... Um, basically trained me up and allowed me to be, to come into his world in a sense and learn about his world and, and what they do. Um, and uh, so he helped me get into school. I, my parents didn't have money to pay for school. I got um, a Pell Grant. I got FAFSA and stuff like that in order to pay for school. I qualified for, for tons of money because my parents didn't make any money. And um, but I had to do the work. Um, I had to take the tests. I had to get to school and stuff like that. So now I have these privileges. Um, I have the privilege of driving when no one else in my family has ever owned a vehicle. 
They take, you know, the Lynx bus and stuff for transportation. I had the privilege of graduating high school. Um, no one else in my family has graduated high school. You know, I have the privilege of owning a home. No one else in my family has had the privilege of owning a home. You know, all these privileges that I obtained, you know, through work. So I, I think we're born with privileges, but I also think that with that, we can earn our own privileges as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I agree, man. And it, it's actually, it's you, you see the breaking, breaking through point, the breaking point of where you said this is not going to continue came with the privileges you were born with That's right. that you utilize a different word as gifts and talents and something that you can offer to whoever God, to the world, however you are going to utilize who you are as a person. You are able to break through events that some people may not ever want to break through, whether you're white, black, Latino, Asian. That's just a human thing. Some of us don't have that motivation or that energy, that drive, um, which goes right back to why the best you is the best you. It's for anybody. Anybody that is willing and wanting, whether you're black, white, Asian, Latina, whatever the case may be, it's the struggle. We've talked about it, Adler, if you, if you can remind me, the struggle or the beautiful, it was the beautiful, the beautiful struggle. The beautiful struggle. Beautiful struggle. Because uh, at the end of the struggle is the reward, the success, and everything that you could ever hope and want. But you're never going to appreciate that success if you don't go through that struggle. Agreed. Agreed 100%. Things that you, I feel things that you obtain fast mean less than the process of obtaining something. Does that make sense? Like, like if, it, if it takes you a long time to, to get that, that thing that you've always wanted, you're going to have more appreciation for it as of it coming easy and getting it right then and there. Okay, I want this. I'm going to get it. It's, it has less value, I think, if it's obtained easy. So the struggle, I think, and the process is what makes you... Um, um, more appreciative for it. So yeah, definitely agree. Um, I do have like I do have a question. This is actually directed towards Daniel. Um, just because um, you know, first of all, thank you for just doing this because I know it's a big step. Like you know, this is I've known you for a long time, and this is kind of like outside of the comfort zone. And the fact that you took it, I, I completely like I'm, I'm blown away, and I appreciate you, bro. I love you, buddy. Um, I'm happy to be here. Of course. <laughs> Love you too, man. Um, so like being He's on a second bite in the water. <laughs> <laughs> so being on the force, right? Um, I I'm just curious, just like did you ever see some things that was just kinda like, Oh wow, that's why is he acting that way? Or like just kinda like you taken back like, Whoa, hey, maybe you kinda went overboard with it. Like I'm just curious just like from your perspective. Yeah, there have been well, there have been multiple situations like that. Not, not that many from the people that I've worked with. There have been a few situations like that from the people I've worked with. And it seems that after people put in about you know, 20 to 25 years doing the job and they deal with just the most awkward, uncomfortable, unfortunate situations on a daily basis, it's, it starts to chip away at your soul just from all the you know, negativity that seeps into your life. And every now and then um, it's like they need some kind of like release to, to get that out of their system. And every now and then once someone pushes their buttons a little bit too much, 
I don't say they go overboard or they lose their temper, but they don't handle the situation as best they could. And um, so I'm trying to think of a specific example that, uh, that I had, but nothing specific is coming to mind. But I'll just, I'll just use a, a common example, I, I suppose. Um, uh, we probably dealt with uh, suicidal people every, every single day. We had some type of call. Someone's, you know, going to kill themselves. So we got to go, you know, take care of it, get into the hospital, get them Baker Act and whatnot. And these people who aren't in the right mind when, you know, they act a certain way and when they're fighting you for the 15th time and it's just an endless process and so you know they're fighting you again they're trying to kick you scratch you bite you punch you in the face do whatever they can and it's you know your job to control the situation but sometimes your you know emotions take control and um you know sometimes i would see someone you know grab someone by the hair or something like that to try and get control of them because of the techniques they weren't using before, you know, they're not working and get a control. So they use something that's not technically uh, permitted by our policy. And I, mean, I never saw someone, you know, like put their knee on someone's neck or anything like that. I've, that's the only time I've ever seen that done was in the George Floyd circumstance. And I honestly couldn't believe what I was seeing, but um Feel like I'm getting a little off track here, but <sighs> no, I I can I understand what you mean. Like you know, sometimes we're humans, and you know, we we all deal in um we all deal with humans on uh, from when it comes to work, when it comes to whatever situation, and sometimes our emotions can get the best of us, you know. Uh, but like at the same time, you know, like for example, if I walk into a patient's room and I'm 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 frustrated. I'm tired. I haven't had lunch. I haven't, you know, I had a chance to even pee for like 12 hours. And then, you know, you start like sniffing at me. I might feel some type of way, but you know, you, you try your best to control um, your emotions and not lash out in emotions. Cause you know, you, you, you it starts over emotions, right? Finn? Yep. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, it starts over emotions. It's it's a previous debate we had. Episodes. Yeah, we had a, we had a previous debate on that. It's thoughts over emotions. So I mean, like I, I definitely understand that. And um, uh, you know, I guess my next question is directed at Miss Taylor. Taylor, Taylor, like I, I I will say this, like Taylor has probably has, has to be one of the kindest persons people that I've ever met. From like day one, it was never like an awkward moment between her and I. It was always like, it it was I I felt welcomed and I I felt loved pretty much from like day one and you know that's pretty much why I, we continue to cultivate the relationship that we do have and um you know I just you know like from your standpoint like just kind of I guess uh with everything that's going on like what's your overall like impression like you know do you have any suggestions I know that's like a hard question to ask but you know I'd love to hear your take so the number one thing that I've taken from all of this is to just step back and listen to my friends who have experienced all of this. You know, I've experienced white privilege. There's absolutely no denying that. So 
asking you what I as a white privileged human can do for you. I, I've just been trying really hard to take a step back and see how I can listen and how I can take steps to make it to where the gap between how white people are treated and how black people are treated, whether it's intentional or not, is just minimized and hopefully eventually goes away. Um, and the thing that I always come back to is, you know, right when, I think right when this became a hot topic again, which I understand for you, it's a topic every day. It's a, it's a, just a fact of life every day. So that's not something that was ever off your radar, but when it came back up on our radars, um, the post that sticks out to me the most is by the founder and CEO of a company called The Happy Givers. And it's, I see no color is not the goal. I see your color and I honor you. I value your input and I will be educated about your lived experiences. I will work against racism that harms you. You are beautiful. Tell me how to do better. That's the goal. And that's, that's kind of been my suggestion to anyone that I've talked to, any of my friends or family, is just find a way to make life better for our friends that are in minority groups and don't have our innate privilege because I can go on a run wearing whatever I want and never fear for my life. And that's just not a thing. I can, I can do it in whatever time of day I want. I can, you know, try and dress as threatening as I possibly could imagine. And it's just still not going to get me hurt, probably. And the fact that, that's, that you have to be intentional about the time of day that you're out running, and even someone in Georgia can be out running and still be chased down in the middle of the day, is absolutely unacceptable. So whatever whatever I can be doing by listening to you and finding ways to bridge that gap is what I want to be doing. Oh, yeah. And that's definitely appreciated because I think it's, it's one of those things like um, obviously you, you kind of pointed out like it's been something that's been on, you know, our radar, you know, black, like black men, black women. It's been on our radar for like for years. I, I had Finn come up and visit me here in Atlanta. And I was like, hey, look, we can't run in this section because, you know, there's some group of people that I don't feel comfortable with. And, you know, in his, like, because Finn's a, you know, loving guy, very open, honest book. And, you know, he's one of those guys like, no, why? Why can't we run? We can run over there. And I was like, nah, we can't go there, man. We, we need to go. We need to head back. And I'm just, like, trying to explain, like, without explaining it to him because, you know, it's, again, it's the elephant in the room that, you know, some people choose not to notice it and some people will notice it, you know. Um, and, uh, like one of the things, especially being in healthcare, right. Um, I, I've seen, and I'm, I'm sure Myers, you've probably dealt with this too. People overdosing on fentanyl and heroin, right? Oh, it's a big, it's a big, huge thing in America right now. It's like probably like outside of the, um, coronavirus, it's probably the second largest pandemic that, or epidemic that we're dealing with currently in the United States. So I'm just going to give like a brief history lesson, right? In um, the early, maybe early mid 80s, there was a, um, the No Tolerance Act or No Tolerance Program. This was pushed by all the governments across like um, the United States. And this was a push to get cocaine, marijuana, and all other illegal drugs off the streets. Now, in the 1980s, like, these heavily populated areas with drugs happen to be urban neighborhoods, right? So if you were caught with suspicion, a small amount, a large amount, you get at least a minimum of five years. 
and like the I, I I still believe that the jail system is filled with people that you know did minor offenses, but they're spending like you know long term sentences just because of the color of their skin. Um, so that's what was going on in the 1980s, right? Now this same pandemic of almost 30, 40 years later is now happening in 2020, right? Um, in, I want to say in 2015, 2016, um, the um, state, or not state, but um, Congress voted that um, because now these um, hot spots for drugs happen to be in suburban neighborhoods now. They're no longer in just the urban neighborhoods. So they signed this bill in Congress where um, you can have access to a special drug called Narcan. Narcan has the, um, it does the reversal of heroin and fentanyl and all that. So fentanyl, and just quick, I'm not going to bore you with science, but um, fentanyl and um, heroin, it has a way of um, suppressing your, your will to drive, basically. So you start to breathe less and less and less, and then you, know, you end up you know, passing away because you're not breathing. So Narcan has a way of reversing that. They signed a bill, um, I want to say in 2016, which made it legal for or accessible for um, people to go to the everyday pharmacy, Walgreens, the CVS, the Publix, and you can purchase Narcan. And Congress, notif or I, I guess, identified that instead of throwing these people wrongfully in jail, they want to help. They, they, they're putting programs in place. Um, now they, they, they push for rehab, they push for, um, you know, you know, there's hotlines and, and uh, so many different things accessible in this day and age for anybody who has a substance abuse problem. And I only bring this up, I only bring this up just to point out the difference, the key difference. In the 1980s, it was predominantly urban neighborhoods and everybody went to jail. Now it's kind of transitioned to suburban neighborhoods and like, hey, we have a problem. We really need to treat these sick people. The, the, the it's the same problem. It's yeah, it's the same problem from 30, 40 years ago. It's just affecting a different demographic this time. And like for somebody to say that there's no such thing as systemic racism, I will always point to that example every single time because it's it's the most recent one and it's something that's currently affecting us um, like on a day-to-day -day basis. Absolutely. Wow. I've never thought of it that way. That was I really mean, well explained. Yes. Because I, I, mean, I actually just finished writing um, a, a paper on it um, for school, and I was just like, huh. But I, I focus more on, like, you know, the accessibility to programs and stuff for um, somebody who uh, has a dependency problem. And I also just kind of just connect the dots. I was like, oh, okay, this makes more sense. And I did my own research just to kind of like, okay, all right, I, I, I see the difference right there. Um, I, I think, think Stephen, really, you were trying to add something. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I think it's very obvious and easy to say that you can't look at Black people for over 400 years as less than a dog. And then in within less than 100 years, think that people are going to equate them to humans. It just doesn't make sense, right? So if you look at, that's why some of these uh these things are in place the way they are. It's because like, we're still not equal. As a matter of fact, when you think about the term Black Lives Matters, right? All we're asking is for you to acknowledge that we exist, not that we're equal, just that we exist. As this community says, just matters. 
matters. Exists. No retaliation, just matters. Um, so we're still, and for the longest, or at least when Black Lives Matters first came out, it was still seen as this negative thing. And it's so, still. Right, and it still is. So uh, we have to, again, it's, it's critical that we face our realities. That's the only way we can move forward, right? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. If we don't, then we're doing a disservice to ourselves, right? You go to Germany right now, they have like this area that's set off that shows like, it's like a memorial for victims from the Holocaust, right? You cannot go through Germany without witnessing that. They acknowledge that this was the mistake of their past. Mm. While we try to cover up our things, we cover up slavery, we, we change the idea behind it. Growing up as a kid, I was taught that, hey, black people are the ones that sold other black people through the slave trade, right? Like that's what I was taught as a kid to make it feel like, hey, it's your fault that you're slaves, right? Um, until we own what we've done, there's no way we're gonna make progress. Like these small little <clears throat> life changes, you know, they are lip service at most, right? Until we own what we've done. And that's really important to acknowledge. Well, I think that. Go ahead. Okay, I was just gonna say I think that, and just acknowledging it at a personal level, right? Like, I like Adler said, we have always had a great relationship. I've never had any ounce of assumption to my knowledge with Adler. However, I know growing up there were plenty of friends that I remember joking around with, with you know, a whole group where one of my friends would act white but would be black and you'd call him an Oreo, right? Like I'm sure how every, everyone on here has heard that. And that's so racist when you think about it because it's saying if you act like a civilized human, then you're acting white. Instead of just acknowledging like black people can be just as civilized, are just as civilized as white people. So it's, it's not acknowledging just that as a country we have been racist, but as individuals we've been racist and we need to work to, to fight that at a personal level to make sure that we're not enhancing it with even things that we mean as a friendly joke with our friends, because that's still not working against this, this innate racism that we all have. Absolutely. No, and you know, it's last time we were on here talking about, um, you know, a childhood event. It took place, uh, last week we had talked about it and it was just a simple fact that, you know, you know, we, you say I go on a personal level. It's, we, we were raised thinking one, like, gosh, how did I, how do we put this? I don't really remember how exactly it was put, but the point is you're absolutely right, Taylor. Um, I think that as we become more and more aware of what's going on and compared to where we may have been a year or two or three years ago, um, you know, as a white man, um, I feel like, I witnessed this personally with amongst my friends and even myself, and I'm not going to deny this either myself, like for a while, because a lot of it didn't really make sense to me. A lot of this didn't make sense because I would say that I was very transparent as, you know, I, I don't, I don't judge a person by their color, their religion or any of, of these things. But unfortunately, because we live in a country where that is the foundation, unfortunately we were that that's sown within the uh, United States is, um, I don't know how to use in their quilt as you, as you, if you will, it's, 
we center our attention and our feelings on what we think and we forget what the voice of a black man or a black woman is really um, trying to voice. Uh, it's almost becomes a, uh, a sense of, it's almost, it, well, it's ignorant, but it's also a defenseless or a defenseful uh, approach, which yes, obviously it's very uncomfortable to talk about at times. It's not something that's easy. Um, and, and I think it's, again, like what you said, Taylor, you said it very well. It, this isn't out of, you know, the black man or black woman's uh, scope or outside of their, of their radar. For us, maybe as a white person, it's a little more uncomfortable because they're bringing it to this. We're, we're bringing the issue to our level. It's kind of like, and I don't want to use this as a negative, but I just want to kind of use this as an example. That's probably not the best, but it's why do bullies bully? Bullies bully because they want to bring people to their level because they're insecure. They have issues going on in their life that is causing them to be lower, or maybe feel like, oh, I don't have you know, I've got this issue going on. So I'm to make you feel just as low as I am. Now, again, I'm not saying this to create a negative example. What I'm saying is in the positive perspective, changing it around, the voice of the black woman and black woman, a black man and a black woman is to vocalize what's going on by making it known, hey, there's an issue. There is a problem. And it's bringing us down here to figure out, oh my gosh, it, there really is something. And Steve, you said this perfectly. In Germany, you're absolutely right. I was raised there. You cannot talk about it, but there is a sense of ownership. Like, hey, we screwed up. We killed a lot of people that we shouldn't have killed and they owned their situation. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we're allies. Germany's allies with a lot of different countries. And even though they made a lot of bad choices, they're still allies. Our country needs to do the same thing. We need to stop mm-hmm. being so... Um, defensive. We need to be able to own our situation, listen, and hear out uh, on the oppression of of this uh, this segregation that's going on in our country. Not just now, but for a very, very long time. To the beginning of the United States, it's very, very um, counterproductive. Is the word I wrote here? It's very counterproductive when we sit here and we try to put makeup over it and try to hide the blemishes and try to say, Oh, it will pass on, or it's just going to go by. It doesn't work. And like I said previously, like I didn't have much exposure to this. So I didn't have as much education and now I'm educating white men and women as I'm on the go to try to bring the reality to light because it's not in their it's not the it's not the the jug of milk that they're pulling out of the fridge every day. It's that piece of chicken that they have in the freezer that they'll touch at the end of the week. It's it's uh, my analogies, man. Adler knows. Yeah, they're they're crazy. They are. It was so, a great uh, one. I'm I'm I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, just kind of like add add on this. Um, so um, when I I've, I think I've echoed the sentiment pretty much from the like day one i think that um we now obviously i there's like there's two extremes right i think that you know there's you know certain black people who are taking complete advantage of the whole black lives matter movement yes but i also believe that there's a lot of there's a lot of like other people on the other side end of the spectrum who's like nah there's not a really, it's not really a thing so i to explain it and this is the best analogy and i've used it countless of times and i don't think i said it on air yes or last week but i want to use this so we are all men outside of Taylor, but I know for a fact Taylor does not have a child yet, maybe soon, in like a year. <laughs> um, anyway, 
being black is kind of like being I, I didn't put on the spot just came up wishful thinking speaking speaking into existence anyway so um being a black man is kind of like a, um being a pregnant woman right you can explain to a man the the pain of childbirth the you know the swelling the bloating the insecurities the you know, the, just, the, just the, the trials and tribulations that you have to go just to give life. And as men, as people who haven't had kids, we, we can't identify with that. We, I can understand it, but I can't like fully understand what you went, went through because that's, that's something that I would never be able to experience. But, you know, as, as most, most loving fathers, when their wife or girlfriend is, you know, talking about like, you know, man, my feet hurt, like, you know, I feel this way, I feel this way. You know, most men will be like, all right, hey, I sympathize with you, even though I don't understand it. I'll massage your feet, I'll cook dinner, I'll do whatever. It's kind of that same mentality that we have to approach this. You know, you may not necessarily know the, every struggle that I've, I've, I've gone through. You don't know every word I've been called. You don't know every time like so a patient's refused for me to even care for them just because of the skin color. But you can at least be like, hey, you know what? And um, I sympathize with you. What can I do? And that, that attitude that you talked about, Taylor, I think is like the most amazing, um, amazing approach. Like I was able to march um, a few weeks ago and like it was like this most overwhelming feeling um, just for me, just because I, I was just like filled with like just raw emotion and to see like it wasn't just... Uh, you know people that look like me it was a sea of just people period and everybody's just like yo we are not going to tolerate this anymore now i know that uh, there's a lot of other you know subcultures and sub places that are trying to hijack like the the actual like you know narrative and all that stuff i'm not trying to get onto any of that but the fact that there was so many people out there just to unify as one that was just like a, it was an amazing feeling to have and I have to commend, like, I give a lot of props to Finn because, you know, since going through this, like, me and Finn put out a video uh, a couple weeks ago just talking about, you know, just equality, just equality. It was, it was a harmless one-minute video just talking about, hey, just equality. It, I didn't call anybody out. I didn't say anything bad. But then, like, he has friends or people that won't return his phone calls or people who, like, pretty much disassociated themselves from him. And I'm just like, like, that's just, I, I, I feel bad because, you know, th these are people that I'm sure he probably gets along with pretty well. But, you know, I also have like this profound respect because it's just like, it, it's not, not only are you putting your, like, you're putting your, your money where your mouth is, you're, you're living it, you're walking it. And like, you're going through, like, basically those people, those people who dropped you because of like this whole situation, that's kind of how it feels to be black. Like that, that right there is like a small semblance of uh, how it feels. And like for that, like I give you complete props. I, I'm super appreciative of your friendship and just, you know, everyone, especially just being on here, super appreciative of it. Like I love every single one of you guys. And I, I like last point, I'm kind of hogging a mic. Uh, I think it's one of those things like um, when, when like you see a Breonna Taylor or a George Floyd or all these things happen, you have this disassociation because it's like, oh, okay, and I'll be honest with you. Like, I've seen it happen to Mike Brown like in 2015, 2016, be like, oh, hey, you know, this, it, 
I have this disassociation because you know this it's in all the way Mississippi. I live in Florida. It's never gonna happen to me. But then at the same time, you have to kind of come to the reality. Like, what if I was out there running, jogging, and I got shot and killed down? Like, how would it? Like everyone, I I would assume everyone would feel some type of way. Like just because of I look the way that I, I look, I don't and that's I don't have a um, criminal history. I don't have, you know. Like, I, that's one of the things that kind of irks me about, like, this whole situation. Because every time a Black man gets killed, they always go, look at his history, look at his past, look at this. The history does not define the man. The history just shows that he made mistakes, period. But the person that you see in, um, in front of you, like, you know, that you could have somebody who's completely different. Um, I, one of the quote, my favorite quotes is, you show me a man that views the world at 20 years old at the same as he views it at 50, and I'll show you a man who squandered 30 years. That right there, the, it just kind of just sums it up. I appreciate every single one of you guys, and I love you guys. And, you know, that's pretty much it. Take the mic back. I'm done. Well, and I'm just, I want to make a point to that. And, and the fact that you say, you know, you made this, made this, uh, made this point here. The problem is, um, you know, the realization to, is, isn't something that happens overnight. Um, you know, we want to be the change. We want to be willing to vocalize and to uh, put our voice out there. As a white man, um, it, like you said, Adler, I have experienced some scrutiny and I have experienced some, you know, people who have stopped communicating with me and unfollowed me on social media, which I don't, I don't define my friendships based off of social media. But when you do the, well, you know, you're supporting this and I don't, and I don't, and but then you call yourself a man or a woman of God and you're now pushing me out of your life because I'm standing for something that is real reality. It's not something I'm making up. It's not something that you only read in history books because everyone refers to history books. I love the point that you said history does not define the man. It defines a person who has made, has, you know, made some choices. I'm gonna be honest. I'll speak for myself. I made some very, very bad choices growing up, uh, and I say that not just because I was being a teenager or being a kid. I was very, very, very disrespectful to my parents. Um, I stole. I lied. I've done a lot of things in the public. I've done, you know, I, I've, I've cursed my parents out in the middle of wherever, we were, wherever we were, because I was upset. No respect for my parents. No honor for my mom and dad, as the Bible does say, to honor your mother and your father, so your days shall be longer on the earth. At the the Lord has given or on the earth. So the, okay. Beside the point, it's one of the commandments. God tells us here, do this, but do the, you know, this is the reward if you do so. The point that I'm trying to make is as a white man, I made mistakes. I've chosen made bad, bad decisions. And yes, I have a history. I'm, I'm human, but that doesn't give anybody, whether you're white or black to give definition or define a person based off what they've done. Because at the end of the day, there are some very, very intellectual, intelligent men and women in office that are running businesses, that are leading this nation, that have led this nation, um, that are making a difference and an impact. But we all clap our hands and round of applause and all that stuff for them. But we need to be doing that same thing for the next man, the fellow man next to us, educating the white man, educating the white woman. And I'm reading here in my notes, it says, it's pushing through that discomfort. It's, it's a no brainer, but do you, it's, it's almost selfish at this point to say I'm uncomfortable. I can't even really stand more because I've opened my eyes even more reading more and educating more. When I say I'm uncomfortable talking about it, and I'm not saying I'm not, um, not disregarding that the whole conversation is, uh, is uncomfortable. But when I say, Oh, it's uncomfortable to talk about yada, 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 then my feelings are centered on me. 
and are now completely ignoring the fact that we are voicing for the black community. That's the problem that the white man, the common white man has. A, either they were raised on it, they were brought up that way, or they just straight out choose to live in this defensive, um, discomforting manner that they don't want to acknowledge. And that's the problem. People don't want to acknowledge it. And when you don't, when you disassociate yourself and you don't acknowledge what's going on, it makes you look more and more of an ignorant individual. And I'm not saying this to anybody directly out in the world who's listening to this. I'm just saying when you sit there and act like you don't know or don't see it's going on, it will create absolutely no change. And if people want to speak about change and do change, then we need to, we need to sit down and do it. And that starts off with acknowledging, recognizing, and listening, <laughs> just as uh, Taylor had said earlier. So that's just my viewpoint as I'm getting more and more aware and more educated and becoming more comfortable, not just speaking to uh, about it, but actually doing stuff about it. Like I, I, I realized that. And it, it, it's been, it's been a journey since our video uh, that we did, you know, that took 45 minutes to do one minute of powerful impact. I know, so I yeah, and, I, just, uh, I wanted to add on to what you're saying. Thank you for sharing your, uh, um, a little bit about you know your 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 upbringing and that that personal event that happened with you as you were saying that you were saying you're you're talking about talking to your parents like this and talking to your parents like that and how you were you were you were bad or or um disrespectful growing up i couldn't help but think about the apostle paul um paul or saul murdered christians he hated everything that had to do with the Lord, but yet God used him to be an ambassador, to be an evangelist, um, so true. and God moved through him. So like you were saying, Adler, you, you guys are hitting it right on the, right on the nail. Uh, you can't judge a man by his past. You know what I mean? Um, and like you were saying, Taylor, um, you hit the, you hit the hammer on the nail as well with, with the personal experiences. Um, I think that's how we fix it is, is at the dinner table is, is what a, a wise man once told me. That's how we fix most issues. And that's how we fix a lot of things at the firehouse. The firehouse dinner table is the most symbolic thing uh, in our fire station, because that's where we come together and we talk about tough calls. That's where we, 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 you know, we burst each other's chops and stuff like that. Um, but I think that's where we fix most of the issues going on here is at the dinner table is being uncomfortable, um, uh, is allowing ourselves to be uncomfortable to, to having these uncomfortable conversations and stuff like that. But also the way we fix this stuff is to be receptive. You can't have an actual debate or conversation, um, or dialogue without being somewhat sort of receptive to what the person's saying. Um, you can't be a one-sided person trying to debate or have a conversation because I can't get through you. Um, I can't <clears throat> get to you or, or allow you to understand my point of view um, because you're one-sided. So I think being res uh, receptive um, and the sort of the similar issues I was speaking of uh, previously is how we fix this stuff. I agree. I agree. Yeah. It's 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 nail. It's getting to the roots. It's really, you know, it's our country 
if you think about this, just to draw in or paint this image real quick, we, we have said this and we all know, it's a start at the root. It's cliche that I say this, but the root of the starting of our country. In order to kill a weed, right, you start, you have to pull it out. You can clip the top every day, all day long, but that weed is going to continue to grow until you pull the root. I do landscape it on the if, side, 100%. <laughs> so, you understand, so you understand. And in many towns, and man. Our country has a root that we haven't pulled out. It's just, or a weed that we haven't pulled out. Wow. We just keep clicking or clipping away at this root or this weed called race, racism, this inequality between white and black. We keep clipping it, trimming it, making it look nice. Like Steven said earlier about just masking or Taylor, someone said masking it or even Myas. I don't know who said it, but someone said something about masking it. Just picture our country has this root that our country started on. If we pull that out, maybe, you know, we have to, it's going to take a minute because we let this root grow quite a bit. This is, the, this is the beginning. Instead of clipping away the leaves and clipping away the stem of the weed, we need to start pulling out the weed. You can also say this though, because we can fix the problem. <clears throat> we can pull that weed out, right? Mm -hmm. But we also have to stay steadfast. We have to spray Roundup on that weed where that, where that, where that root was to keep it suppressed, to keep it from growing again, to keep it from resurging, from restarting, from coming back um, again. Absolutely. Well, now we, we, that's, that's exactly, that's exactly right. But Steven, you got something? You look like well, I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm just curious. What are some roots that you guys could identify, right? So for example, for me, if we're talking about police brutality, it's pretty simple. There are questions like, Police officers have to take uh, a lie detector test, right? Yep. We could ask police in different scenarios, how would you handle this? And you'll hear the truth, right? Because there's a lie detector. So I, like, that's one way I think we start to look at fixing like a route, right? If we're looking directly at, there's a lot of um, police brutality that happens to the minority um, groups. I, I wonder why it's so difficult to um, identify resolutions. Like it took so long for us to get to body cams when that technology existed so long ago. And it seems like tradition, usually it, it looks like there's just, we hire not cops that are not as good as handling situations that they're not familiar with. I don't understand why we can't ask the questions that would put them in these uncomfortable situations to get the results and determine that they're not qualified, right? If you're not qualified to handle certain situations, you shouldn't be a police officer. If I'm afraid of heights, I can't be a pilot. Like that's almost impossible, right? Mm, this true. is a scenario I'd have to deal with. If I'm afraid of blood, I can't be a doctor or a nurse. If you don't understand not to freak out when you're dealing with black people, you shouldn't be a cop, right? Like that sounds like really, really basic rudimental things that I think- Hashtag common sense. <laughs> right? Yeah. But I yeah. think uh, as, a, as a country, it's like, I don't know. So, and I'm curious, Daniel, maybe you can enlighten us a little bit on, yeah. on the process if I'm missing something. Well, uh, just going through the process of being a police officer, just getting hired, like you said, with the lie detector test, 
you, it took me 10 months to get hired from the time I put in my application. They do multiple background investigations with people I went to college with, I went to high school with. They talk to former professors, you know, they get, uh, they talk to my family friends and my polygraph took about like two hours. And I mean, they ask you extremely, you know, awkward questions that, that you would never even think to ask yourself to try to weed out any, uh, you know, these people trying to get this job who would not be a good fit. And, you know, and racial questions were, you know, right off the bat, they asked probably 50 of them, but they ask all sorts of stuff. Like they asked me one time, have you ever been sexually attracted to a child? You know, things that you wouldn't even think to ask yourself. They put you in those uncomfortable situations right off the bat. So I think, Police departments, they do everything they can to try and keep those people out. And I know multiple people who have not gotten hired, you know, have not passed the background because of, you know, one, one little small thing in, in their past. And to be honest, I'm not sure what these agencies could do to weed these people out more. And if I'm being completely honest, I'm not even sure that when they're hired, they're that way. They may become a little bit jaded after working the job for, for 20, 25 years. And, and to be honest, when one of the first things that I was taught in the academy uh, by one of my instructors is you have to see every person as a threat. And that ended up being a, a very long conversation. You know, some guys are cracking jokes like, well, is, you know, a four-year-old girl, you know, uh, you know, a death or something like that. And everyone's laughing. And my instructor said, uh, yeah, absolutely. They, they could be a threat to your life. He said, well, can you give us an example? And he said, uh, and actually I went through a virtual reality training video that was similar to this. Uh, to make a long story short, uh, in the training video, you pull someone over for, uh, for speeding. And male driver... And there's like a six-year-old girl in the front passenger seat with him. The guy has a warrant for him, so we have to take him into custody. So as we're taking him into custody in the in the in the video, the little girl brings out a handgun that was in the glove box and and points it at you and says, "I'm gonna shoot you if you don't let my daddy go." You know, it that situation is just trying to show you that everyone is a potential threat. So when you go through that job. And you go through these situations on a daily basis, you start to become jaded and lose your faith in, in humanity a little bit, to be, to, if I'm being completely honest. Um, so I feel like I've, I've gotten off tangent a little bit as well again. No, no, no. That was right on point. No, no. I, I mean, that's, that's, yeah. Yeah. It's, that's a perspective it's a that people don't people think about. Care. Like, I didn't Correct. think about that. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, over time, that makes sense. You yeah. probably, because I hear the same thing about doctors and nurses, right? Mm-hmm. Like dealing yeah. with like uh, cancer for 20 years, you start to look at the next cancer patient as just a number versus when you first started, where you looked at them as individuals. So well, there, that is there a was a doc- perspective. There was a doctor, um, and this is just, I know, with the whole hot topic, and I know we got to start wrapping this up here very shortly, but... Uh, we had, uh, you know, with the whole COVID-19 thing going on, there was a doctor, um, it was all over the news for a little bit. She 
worked in New York and it just was becoming such a stress and such an exhaustion, exhaustion to her that she mentally couldn't take it anymore. Um, and she actually took her life um, because it was becoming so, 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 so detrimental to her every day. Like it wasn't just going to work for COVID. It was like, you're going into this like stressful, extremely stressful environment, knowing how New York was and may still be. Um, we're starting to see some of that like now here in Florida, but um, it, it's a re it, it does get to you at some point, you know, but um, long behold, uh, at the end of the day, guys, you know, we, we sat down tonight um, just to kind of wrap things up and I'll let Adler finish it off. But just want to say uh, it's been just an awesome, awesome discussion. Uh, you know, we, it was our first time doing a zoom um, for the podcast. So we are switching Appreciate that name. Appreciate you guys joining us. It's not me podcast and more. It's me podcast because it's a video cast and uh, you guys are, you guys are breaking ground with us and thanks to Steve shout out to you man for giving us the opportunity to kind of look beyond our horizon uh and uh yeah Steve pushed us to be the best versions of ourselves yes yeah. for sure he pushed I, us I learned a lot about level. you <laughs> Dude, I, get, I, just, I get such a caring and loving vibe from you guys um and it makes me think of this quote um, and I think this quote is very uh, pertinent to this conversation and this, this dialogue that we had today. It's a quote from Martin Luther King. It says, let us not satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. And I think that um, that quote is very pertinent to what we talked about tonight. And um, I, I really enjoyed this talk. Hopefully we can have some more of these guys. I took a lot oh, of absolutely. I took a lot of notes from tonight, a lot of what you guys were saying. And, uh, you know, like I was saying, you got to be receptive um, to what people are saying. Daniel, I love your perspective from being a police officer. That's a lot of things that, you know, that people out on the outside looking in will never know or, or, or understand. So. And for the record, I just want to put this out for the record. Uh, like, I don't believe the same way that I don't believe all nurses are great nurses. There's some bad nurses, there's some good nurses. The same way I don't believe that all cops are bad. Um, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of good cops and they they get kind of tainted because of like these bad apples. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, it's, it's unfair. And I think that we have, we like police officers have a place in society. And you know, I, I'll be straight up with you. Uh, yes, I do sometimes fear getting pulled over by the cops, but at the same time, if somebody were to break in right now, guess what I'm calling? Nine one. Right. So um, I think that just kind of just goes to show you that um, you know we love our police officers. We love the, um, anybody who's willing to you know put their life on the line and just give it for a good cause. That's it's selfless, and it, you know there's there's nothing we can ever take away from that. Um, but that being said. Um, the most important thing, and if there's one thing that um, I feel like we can we can take from this type of discussion, kind of to touch on what Maya said, um, when you know better, you do better. So when you educate yourself with like the things that are going on, or the understanding the plight of your fellow man, and just understanding that you know some uh, you know even like to the point where you're talking about like being jaded and stuff like that, um, you you gotta have like some form of understanding. 
And um, I think that, you know, we had a very powerful discussion. Um, I appreciate, again, I can't stop saying it because, you know, I'm, I'm super grateful for every single one of you guys is taking the time out of your busy schedules to meet with us and just talk. Um, I, we probably have one more episode left, kind of like this, the round table. Um, we'll kind of let you know, um, you know what's next. But we kind of want to do a three-part series, just talk like a roundtable, open discussion, open dialogue, bring it up to the, you know, bring it to the table, and then we just talk about it. Um, because we're trying to improve ourselves every single day. That being said, appreciate it again. You guys have a wonderful week. Our listeners have a wonderful week. Um, and thank you for joining us to our first video, our first right, video yes. um, podcast blog. <laughs> Thank you for including us. Absolutely. Thanks, thanks for being for part of it. It's been, been amazing. amazing. Awesome. All right, guys. We'll take it easy. We're out. All Have right. a good one. Bye. Yeah. Bye.